Welcome to another episode of the Founder Fundamentals Podcast. My name is Rahul Kumar, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Timothy Draper. I don't think Tim needs any introduction, and that any introduction can properly do justice to what he's accomplished in venture, but he is the founder of Draper Associates and Draper University. And Tim is often regarded as one of the most successful venture capitalists in the world and one of the most influential people in the Valley. Tim, you come from an illustrious background of venture capitalists, three generations of investing in the Valley. What prompted you to stay within the family business per se? Oh, that's funny, because when I was in business school, as you are, my goal was not to do venture capital. My grandfather was the first venture capitalist in the Silicon Valley. My dad was a venture capitalist. It was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And then I came up with some ideas to be an entrepreneur. And I realized I had too many ideas and not enough drive into any one of them to become an entrepreneur. And I realized my gene pool set me in the direction of a business where you generate and drive a lot of ideas, but you are an inch deep and a thousand miles wide rather than going a thousand miles deep and an inch wide. That has turned out to be great for me because I have really enjoyed being a venture capitalist. I've had an opportunity to meet some of the more interesting people in the, in the world. And venture capital has taken off to such a degree that I've been able to travel around the world meeting with world leaders because they recognize the value of the entrepreneur and the venture capital experience and how that combination can create huge economic value, create a lot of jobs and do some great things. So I have found that they compete for me and it kind of got me thinking about competitive government and how governments have to compete for us. Now the world is open and transparent and the geographic borders mean less and less and we're less tribal and we're more global. All those things are making the governments of the world have to sort of be, go from the buy side to the sell side. They have to start selling. So speaking of creating value, you have a long list of successful investments under your belt, Baidu, Tesla, Twitter, DocuSign, just to name a few that have gone on to create tremendous amounts of value. I often hear a concentrated few in the Valley have access to all the best deal, yet what's ironic about that statement is that you can't tell whether a deal was great or not until it's actually materialized later on. So what has worked for you in terms of building a reliable pipeline of high quality opportunities? Well, we do a lot to generate deal flow. We call that deal flow. And what's interesting is that Draper University of Heroes, you know, our five-week hero training program has generated um, of 1,200 graduates. They've started 350 companies on their own, but they've also sent me about 3,000 opportunities. So that's now made up about 15% of our deal flow, it, just from our alums. And they've come from 80 two different countries and it's been a really interesting phenomenon and you know a lot of schools brag that 85% of their students go out and get a job well our average student creates four jobs <laughs> we don't even think about them getting their job we think about them creating more jobs for other people but that has been one area where i didn't realize it was going to generate deal flow i just sort of did it because i thought i could 
teach a lot of entrepreneurs how to start thinking as entrepreneurs. My book has generated some deal flow, how to be the startup hero. The show Meet the Drapers has generated a very different bunch of deal flow. We allow the viewer to invest through crowdfunding in Meet the Drapers. So that shows up on YouTube and you can invest. But we also do all the same things all the other venture capitalists do. We, we tap into incubators and accelerators. I work with a press a lot. That is the mother's milk of venture capital is deal flow. And so we really have extraordinary deal flow. And that has been great. And that has built a big name for us in venture capital and that kind of thing. What we look for in a deal is very different because we do it at the early stage. If you do it a little later, you can analyze numbers, you can figure out what kind of traction a company has. But what we have to do is we have to kind of look at it as a, a sociological art form. And so we look at it and we say, is this something other people can do? That tends to be one of the criteria. If it's different enough, then we'll take a serious look at it. And if that person has really dedicated themselves to that way of thinking, that tends to be really good. I might try to predict what's going to happen out there, but I think it's the entrepreneurs that really do the, the predicting. A lot of interesting opportunities have popped up in emerging markets, in markets outside the U.S. And speaking of your investment in Baidu, you were one of the first venture capitalists to invest in China. And through Draper Associates, you've invested in over 600 companies across 40 countries. I'm still hearing from VCs today that they prefer to stick to geographies that they know, which to an extent makes absolute sense. But there's undeniable opportunities in some of these other markets. Assessing an international market that you may not be 100% familiar with, what needs to click for you in order to proceed with deploying capital in that market? Well, I think the other venture capitalists are very bright, but I think they're being lazy. There is so much going on around the world, and you have to travel. You have to travel to understand all the things that are going on around the world. I think it is so important to see that Silicon Valley is the center of most of this activity, but it is not the be-all and end-all. We made a lot of money off of Baidu, and we made a lot of money off of Skype, and if I didn't travel, neither of those deals would have happened. And I think now we're seeing some really interesting things coming out of Africa, Indonesia, different parts of the Eastern Europe. There are some really interesting things happening out there. My accountants and stuff are all telling me just stick to Silicon Valley because there is a little bit of overhead associated with investing in other places. But I am almost geographically blind when I look at a new entrepreneur. I'm not quite there because it does cost us a little bit more to do an international deal. But it's the last thing I look at. So when I'm looking at a new deal, the first 30 things I look at don't involve where, where they are geographically. On the topic of decentralization and moving away from the valley, you've obviously been a major proponent of Bitcoin and decentralization. Given the fluctuations in demand for the asset over the past few years, in your opinion, what have you concluded as the drivers of demand for this asset specifically? You know, it's really interesting. All technologies go through this sort of IS curve where they kind of come up 
and they get hyped up and then there's this dot at the top of the hype and that was December of 2017 for Bitcoin and it was probably somewhere in April 2000 March of 2000 for the internet and then they dropped down and the internet dropped to zero nobody wanted to pay any attention to the internet for years years and years and then slowly but surely these things started to happen Amazon Google Facebook Twitter all these businesses came from nothing and started to really rise and they were like phoenixes rising out of the ashes and it all just took off and it's so much higher than the top of the hype curve in March of 2000 I'm believing that Bitcoin's going through the same thing it got the hype monster at the top it's now come down people lost interest I'm surprised they didn't lose more interest the internet there was no interest now i mean in bitcoin there's still plenty of interest and i think it's because hey you still need it for remittances you still want to pay people internationally this way but nobody's even tapped micro payments nobody's even tapped the idea that you can use bitcoin and save two and a half to four percent every time you swipe your credit card going retail and those things are coming so once they show up and all these new things that can happen because you have this great digital currency in Bitcoin, you're going to see amazing new applications, new things, lots of new things are going to happen. And I think Bitcoin is going to go so far beyond where anybody ever imagined it would be. And when people talk about volatility, I always look at that as there, it's the volatility of the fiat currencies as they slowly disappear from the map. One Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. And now you know there are only 21 million of them. My belief is that it's just a better currency. It's a better way to operate. And eventually everybody is going to move that way, slowly but surely. You're not going to want a political currency. You're not going to want a currency that's tied to weird political forces where they can sort of print it when they feel like it and interest rate can go way up or way down. Long term, Bitcoin is going to be much more stable. And actually, it's interesting, the stable coins are trying to bridge that gap. If you believe that fiat currency is just not as good and it's going to fall off the map over the next 30 years, then these stable coins are kind of just a bridge. I tend to look super long term almost to a fault. Sometimes I'll back a science project because of it. But if you look and see how all of these things are going to combine and where they're going to go, my belief is Bitcoin's the ultimate winner. And that's why I made that prediction. 2022 or the beginning of 2023, Bitcoin would hit 250,000. So you mentioned a science project, you know, on another notable investment of yours within healthcare technology, Theranos, the vision is obviously there, scaling diagnostics, making it accessible to everyone. We need to get there at one point or another. Given how that investment played out and the subsequent outcome in the legal realm, how do you look back upon that opportunity? And is there anything different that you would have done in, re in retrospect? I don't know if there's anything I could have done that was different. I tried to advise. I tried to, it just went the way it went. When you build a business, nobody really cares until it starts messing with their living. <laughs> Most small businesses grow and you could get you can get to be a $10 million business. Nobody cares. $100 million business. 
few people start to notice. If you start getting to be a billion dollar business or greater, the existing industry starts figuring out how to attack and how to sabotage you. And you have to be prepared for that. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you've got to fight back. The press will come out after you. You're going to have to come back. I think advice from attorneys is probably not the best advice when you're in a battle for the survival of your company. And I think attorneys will say, don't talk to the press. Don't talk to anybody. Just talk to me. I'll bill you. Everything will be great. That advice is good later on if you are if you go down this horrible, horrible fight, rabble thing, but that doesn't have to happen. You can stop that along the way. Zuckerberg is being attacked because he's affecting a lot of people. I mean, all the banks and insurance companies and all these people are currently very upset because Libra could, you know, basically be your bank. And that's an interesting thing. Do you still have a centralized currency or do you go decentralized with bitcoin that will be an interesting thing that happens once libra does start spreading and i i don't know whether america benefits from it but other countries maybe any entrepreneur who becomes hugely successful and has an invention or an innovation that will transform an industry has to recognize that that industry as it is will do everything you can to push you back. But ultimately, the technology rises and it wins all wars. And so most of the incumbents are going to have to face a nanotainer. They're going to have to face using digital for healthcare. Look, the world's changing. The pharma can't get away with what they've been doing forever. The way the government has operated with healthcare. Yeah, that isn't going to work forever. The way insurance works in healthcare, that's not going to work forever. So she was just like the pioneer. She ended up with arrows in her back. I think there will be other pioneers. There already are. I've seen 15 Theron knockoffs since she left. And it's been pretty interesting to see. And a whole bunch of data healthcare businesses. And so I think it's coming. You can't tamp down technology without it sprouting 50 other plants. So I think that would be a learning thing that you guys make sure that it, when the press comes after you, use it as a marketing vehicle. Don't go quiet. You mentioned Libra. It has the opportunity to disrupt. You know, banks are wondering about how to react to this. Who do you believe is best positioned to dominate the next generation of payments? Finance or Coinbase? I think they're... There is room for a lot of these, but I think they're in the absolute best positions for, for the new world of finance. If the bankers hadn't lined up and decided they were going to fight it, some of those banks would be huge beneficiaries of Bitcoin and crypto. All the bank has to do is step out of line and go their way. It's a little bit like the buggy whip manufacturers lining up against the horseless carriage. We don't want this automobile thing. We want the old buggy whips. You know, that's what happens is old technologies. They all kind of line up. And they go, God, dude, they're taking our livelihood away. Well, banks have been living off of your two and a half to four percent every time you swipe a credit card. 
that's going away. They've got to get on board. And, and it's interesting to see all the different ways the banks are, they're fighting it. And, and then on the other side, they're going ahead and buying crypto for their own account. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting, JP Morgan coming out saying, oh, this crypto, it's fake. And they started with that. Then they said, nobody can use a JP Morgan credit card to buy crypto. Then at the same time, there's a group within JP Morgan that's out there analyzing crypto. So I'm kind of thinking, guys, get on board, figure it out. It's not a pretty picture right now. Over time, markets have moved, global demographics have changed, technology has evolved at an exponential rate, and you've seen your fair share of investment hits and losses. What three investment principles have you seen stand the test of time for you? Watch your cash, take care of your customer, and own your market. Okay, there you go. That's it. That's all you need to know. Tim, just a quick rapid fire, uh, just throwing some keywords at you. So I'll start off with the first one, AI. Just now, the data is such that the deep learning that you can glean from the data and how much data there is out there, the big data everywhere, you put all that together, you actually come up with decisions that can be better than what a human can make. And that's where artificial intelligence starts to click in when it passes the human decision-making power. U.S. venture landscape? Depends very much on various government policies. Don't mess with technology. Don't mess with progress. Don't get too heavy-handed before we know the outcomes of new technologies. I think regulators need to back off. Fintech. Fintech's already here. We're using fintech every day. It's already transformed the banks, and with Bitcoin, it's going to transform the world. World currencies are going to change, and fintech is going to creep into all these other insured tech and real estate tech, other fields. It's going to be pretty awesome. Chinese venture landscape? They've gone from a freedom leader to a control leader, and you can tell when you meet with people from China, they are depressed. And they had huge energy and huge entrepreneurial enthusiasm until the new government took over. And the new government is so concerned with their own power and their own control that they are getting in the way of their people's success. Space technology. Very exciting to start thinking about space. We've made a lot of investments in space. Everything from SpaceX and Planet to where they launch microsatellites to some of these others, uh, Kubos that has communicates from satellite to satellite, and these vehicles that avoid space dust or ex- pull in space dust and make it energy. A lot of interesting things happening in space. I do think that with global warming, we're going to be concerned about what's our hedge. I think space is our hedge. As Elon has pointed out to all of us, we do need to get off the planet eventually, and we need to save this one. So a lot of things going on in space. Indian venture landscape. God, I keep being either really enthusiastic or really down on the Indian economy and government should just kind of get out of the way. The entrepreneurs are doing so much great stuff there. And of course, when they come to the U.S., the Indian entrepreneurs are extraordinary. They do so much great stuff. And uh, and Meet the Drapers slants toward India because we have a great 
relationship there with Times Group and Sony. And so our distribution is very much throughout India. So it's going to be interesting to see. It's funny, a government can really affect an economy because they put a culture into people's heads. Leadership can put a culture into people's heads. If that leadership is straightforward, honest, incorruptible, driven to greatness, the people will be too. And let's hope that that's the way India ends up. U.S. healthcare? That's a mess. But what's great about U.S. healthcare is that there is a free market that is working in the background to improve U.S. healthcare. And data is going to be a big part of that. I also think data is going to drive therapeutics. And um, drug companies are not going to be the same in the future as they are today. It's like one size fits all. The drug companies, it's like, oh, here, you got a problem? Take this. They don't take into consideration your DNA, where what you've had for breakfast, where you've traveled, all that. But the computers can do that. And so you get better data. So AI is going to take over medicine. That was Tim Draper, founder of Draper Associates and Draper University. Thanks so much for taking out the time to speak, Tim. Appreciate it. Terrific. Great. Thanks.